We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Question for you this morning. Just food for thought. What was the highlight of 2017 for you? What was your highlight of the year 2017? Everybody think back to what happened in the year 2017. What was your highlight? Okay, I see some smiles and some people thinking and looking up and thinking. What are you looking forward to in 2018? What are you looking forward to in 2018? What does God have in store for you in 2018? What are your plans? As I was studying 2 Corinthians chapter 3 this week, the thing that just resonated in my heart and, and, and I'm going to share with you all this morning is the scripture teaches that we are a letter of Christ. So let me re-ask that question to you. In 2017, how did your letter read? How did your letter read? What was the story of 2017? The, the, the message of Christ that you were projecting to the world. Because if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again believer, he's writing his letter. And more importantly, what will that letter say in 2018? What will that letter say in 2018? Your life is a movie reel. And a story is being written. And for, the believer, for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And as we're going to see in the text this morning, he is writing his letter to the world through you. That's a big responsibility. Guys, we represent God. We represent Jesus to the world. That's huge. That's a high and holy calling. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. As we close and open, as we close 2017 and we open up 2018, I want to talk to you this morning what I believe is the centerpiece of the Bible. The centerpiece of the Bible is three things. One is the glory of the new covenant. We're going to get theological this morning. I think you can handle it. Because I think you're smart people, and I think you want to know the truth, and you want to hear what God's Word teaches. But we're going to see the glory of the new covenant. We're going to see the purpose of God's moral law. And then we're going to see that the glory of God is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So if you need to hear something about, what is it, New Year's resolutions, you, know, you might want to go online and look at something later this afternoon. But this morning, we're looking at something a million times greater than New Year's resolutions. We're looking at the, the glory of God in the new covenant, the purpose of the law, and the glory of God, which I'm kind of giving to you up front, is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping that this will transform and change some hearts and energize some people to, to see it and to fall on their face and say, Wow, God, you're awesome. Wow, God, you're amazing. Let's pray. And we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Pray, Lord, as we dig into it, that you would just uh, guide us and direct us and help us to see the glory of the new covenant. Help us to see the purpose of the law. Help us to see um, your glory revealed in the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Now, you've got to understand the background of, of Corinthians. There's false teachers, there's Judaizers at Corinth 
who are undermining Paul's name. They're attacking the gospel of grace. They're trying to add the law. So in this letter, Paul is addressing the Corinthians and their issues, but also you got to understand the background. He's defending his name. He's defending the gospel of grace. And that's kind of where he's going with this first thought because the, the, the Judaizers, the false teachers, are undermining Paul's name. So it's bringing his credibility down. So look at verse 1. Paul says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need a some letters of commendation to you or from you? Letters of commendation were very common in the New Testament time, in the New Testament period. Uh, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have texting. They didn't have cell phones. They weren't able to communicate to um, other regions, other churches, to let people know who this person is. So what they would do is they would do letters of commendation. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Paul sends Phoebe from Centria with the, the book of Romans to the church at Rome. And when he says in Romans 16, he says, I want to, I commend to you, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, to, and to the deacon, to our deacon, and I send her to you, Rome, accept her on my behalf. So letters of commendation were very important. And, and Paul is saying here, are we, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Those false teachers and those Judaizers had so under Paul, they undermined Paul's name, they were discrediting Paul. Possibly they were saying, well, you were not one of the original disciples, so you have no authority. And Paul is saying here, do I have to prove my apostleship? Do I have to prove who I am? This, remember uh, the second missionary journey, Acts chapter 18? Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. They knew him well. They knew his heart. But in the time between then, he had been undermined. He, he, he was undermined. It, this would be like, let's just say if Chuck Smith was still alive today. And Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, if he came to Calvary Chapel Irma and said, David, I would like to come teach at Calvary Chapel Irma. And I said, I'm sorry, Chuck, you can't do that. I need to see your credentials. I need to understand. What? What are you talking about? Chuck Smith would be like, I founded the Calvary Chapel movement. I founded the Calvary Chapel movement. And, and, and um, verse 2, Paul says, you want, you want a letter of accommodation? I'll give you a letter of accommodation. Look at verse 2. He says, you are our letters. In other words, he's saying, you are our accommodation. You are the validation of my ministry. Verse 2, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. The Christian life is telling us, you're telling a story. You're telling a story. They were telling a story. You are telling a story. What will your story be in 2018? Will it be faithfulness, commitment, obedience? Will it be that? Or will it be disobedience and rebellion? What's your story going to say in 2018? What's it going to say? Being a Christian is a high and holy calling. I said that a while ago. We represent heaven to the people on earth. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a high and holy calling. Verse 3, he says, Being manifested, here it is, that you are a letter of of Christ. It's a very high and holy calling. We represent Christ. We're called to be holy. We're called to be holy 
and to be separate from sin in our witness to the world. People look at us that don't read their Bible, that aren't Christians, they look at us and say, what's this Bible all about? What's this Christianity all about? They look to us to be the example. But unfortunately, many Christians live in compromise. They compromise their Christian faith. They tolerate sin. They live in sin. And what it ultimately does, it shames the name of Christ. It can't be that way with us. We have the words of eternal life in the Bible. We represent the gospel. We are the letter. we got to present that letter. And we can't give nobody a reason to reject Christ or to turn away from the Lord. Man, this is a high and holy calling. It's, 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 a, it's a thing that we need to hold near and dear to our heart, and we need to live in holy dedication and commitment to Christ. Continuing in verse 3, he says, Cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. All the work that's done in us as, we, as this letter presented is done by who according to that verse the holy spirit not with ink but with the spirit of the living god as we surrender to his leading and to the holy spirit he will write his letter but the minute our flesh rises up and we diso- we disobey the voice of the holy spirit and, we, and we, we don't do what god tells us we start writing our own story And how many of you know when you start writing your own story, things become a train wreck? Things become a mess. If we'll just listen to the Word of God, to the Bible, and we'll just follow the Holy Spirit's leading and let Him write His letter. The first reason I present to you this morning why the New Covenant is is, is glorious and is magnificent is this. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling on the inside. And the Holy Spirit's will, desire, is, to let, is for you to surrender to Him and let Him write His letter. Let Him write His letter. Let Him do His work in you. It wasn't like that in the Old Testament. If you study the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, he would come and he would leave. He would come and he would leave. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, he stays permanently within us. He comes to abide with us and he's in us and is permanent. He's with us always. Verse 4, he says, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. What is our confidence? What's the context? What's our confidence? The Holy Spirit living in us. And when the Holy Spirit living in us, we renounce the old way of life. We renounce sin because the Holy Spirit, He is the Spirit of the living God. And what is He? He is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we're called to live dedicated lives. That is our confidence. That is my confidence as I stand before you this morning. Is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. He's made me a new creature, and he's given me his word, and he's called me to be a pastor. And that's my confidence, that I can 
boldly proclaim to you what the scripture says this morning. And, and let us walk through and learn it together. That's our confidence. That is our confidence. He continues in verse 5. In verses 5 in the first half of verse 6, uh, he uses this word adequate three times. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Who makes us adequate? He says it there three times. The Greek word is hykonos. The, the, the word hykonos, it means um, sufficient in ability. What makes us sufficient in our ability? Is it because we're cool, we're hip, we're relevant? You know, I'm a rock star pastor? No. No. That's not what makes a pastor, a minister, a, a servant. That's not what makes them qualified. That's not what makes them adequate. It says in verse 6, what makes us adequate? Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. It's called becoming a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming a servant of this gospel, becoming a servant of what is written in his word. That's my, that is, my friend, how you become adequate for ministry. It's understanding the glory of God in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and serving it with all your heart. Yes, Sasha's going to go off to school and she's going to have a career and she's going to do her job. Robert's going to be a construction worker. Warren's an engineer. And all of us are doing our different jobs. But within that job, our ultimate job is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and be a shining light for him in that job. Now, halfway through verse 6, remember the background. There's false teachers. There's Judaizers. Halfway through verse 6, I believe Paul is like a hunter up in the deer stand, up in the tree stand, like some of you are going to be this afternoon and tomorrow as the, as the hunting season comes to a close. He's up in a deer stand, and he's, now he's turning his spiritual rifle toward the Judaizers, toward the background of the people that are influencing the Corinthians. Look at verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Here it is. He's, ta- he, he, he's aiming at these Judaizers, these people that wanted to mix the law and the gospel. He says, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Now let me just say this. In verse 6, not, not all Pentecostal church, but in some, in some hyper-Pentecostal churches, they will use this verse when they say the letter kills. They're talking about, they'll, they'll say it's talking about the Bible. It's not talking about the Bible. It's not talking about the Bible at all. It, it's, when it says the letter kills, it's talking about the law. It's talking about the, um, the moral law of, of God. Verse 7 We're going to dive into this a little more after I read verse 7, talking about the law. Verse 7, But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. Now, I want you to notice in verse 6, this is a stab to the Judaizers. This is a stab to legalism. Somebody who's trusting in the law rather than trusting on Christ. He just, he just takes the crosshairs. Look at verse 6. He says, 
He says, the letter kills. And then in verse 7, look at what he calls legalism, uh, or the law. The ministry of death. And then he even defines it. In letters engraved on stones. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the Mosaic law. He's talking about the Mosaic law of Moses that was given from Exodus chapter 20 to um, Exodus chapter 30. The Mosaic law was, was, can be divided into three categories. The civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. Now, we see in the New Testament the moral law is quite oftenly referenced and used. We see it the, the, the moral law. But what we don't see in the New Testament is the ceremonial law. We don't see the civil law. And according to um, Colossians 2.16, those have been done away with. But we do see the moral law of God in the New Testament. Now, when I say moral law of God, just to make sure we clarify, we know we're, talk- we're talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about those two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments. Remember that, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt honor your mother, thou shalt honor your father. We're not talking about the civil law. We're not talking about the ceremonial law. This morning I'm talking to you about the moral law, the Ten Commandments, those Ten Commandments. What is their purpose? Three purposes for God's moral law. Number one is to reveal the holiness of God, to reveal God and His character to reveal the holiness of God. That was the purpose, number one, of the law. Number two, to reveal the standard for life for people. To To reveal the standard for man's behavior. But the ultimate goal, if you leave, if you leave here and you remember anything that Pastor David said about the, the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, is this. The ultimate purpose and I'm going to show it to you in Scripture, in the New Testament, is this. The Ten Commandments were made to point people to the Savior. They were made to point people to the Savior. You're made to look at the Ten Commandments, not, oh, this is how I get right with God. No, no. You're made to look at the Ten Commandments and say, oh, guilty, 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 guilty. I'm guilty. Where do I go? Go to the cross. That's the purpose of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. Do you see why that's so important? Do you see why the, the, the posting of the Ten Commandments in our courtroom and the posting of the Ten Commandments in our schools and the, and the knowledge of God's law is so important? It's not so that people can go around and live a legalistic life. It's to show them their need for the Savior. Turn, I want you to see it for yourself. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. That's what we're looking at. I normally put these verses up on the screen, but I thought this is important for you to see it yourself in your Bible. The Apostle Paul says this, but, and he's talking about the moral law, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for a who? It's not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane, and those who kill their fathers and mur- excuse me, those who kill their fathers and mothers for murderers, for immoral men, for homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Who is it for? It's for the world. 
The, the, yes, we, we, we love God's law. We, we follow God's law. We, we rejoice in God's law and obeying God's law. But its ultimate purpose is found in pointing people to the Savior. A couple of verses. If you go take a study of the book of Romans, I recommend go home and study the law in the book of Romans. It is mind-blowing. Just a couple of verses. Romans 7, 7. The Apostle Paul says, I would not have known what sin was except by the law. You see, you have, the, you have these Ten Commandments, right? And I believe that all the sin in the world, all the sin that exists in our universe, it's like a sin tree. All sin is either a violation of one of those commandments, or one of the commandments' children, or one of, the commandments grand, one of the commandments' grandchildren. All sin can ultimately be traced back to one of those Ten Commandments. All sexual sin can be traced back to the Seventh Commandment. Uh, thou, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. All the sins of lying and the things that come out of our mouth and the dishonesty and the deceit and all that, all of them, can be traced back to the ninth commandment. You shall not lie. They all come from the commandment. Now, listen to me and hear me closely. The law does not save. The law does not save. It cannot save. It has never saved. What does the old, even in the Old Testament, uh, the law did not save Old Testament. I believe it's uh, Genesis 15, 6. What does it say? It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And one of our all-time verses that we all love, most of you have to memorize, Proverbs 3, 5. That's the Old Testament. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. They were justified just like we were justified. They were justified by faith. I believe it's Galatians 2, 16. But he also said, Paul says it in Romans 3, 20. He says very clearly, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Here it is. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The purpose of God's Ten Commandments, its ultimate supreme purpose, is to crush us. Is to crush the sinner. To crush his pride. The, the, the purpose of God's moral law, it shows us, it shows us our total inability to please God. Whatever righteousness you th or right standing a person may have or think they may have with God before they come to Christ, the law crushes it. It shows us our need for Jesus. It humbles us. This is amazing. It's amazing. Second reason I present to you this morning why the new covenant is glorious, why this covenant is amazing, is this, is simply this. Uh, the, the law kills the law brings death, as the text says, and the gospel brings new life. The gospel brings new life. I didn't say nothing about religion. It brings new life on the inside of your heart, on the inside of your life, and it, and it works its way out in the way you live. It works its way out in the way you live. So that's the second reason. The law kills, it brings death. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it brings new life. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to, 
to be even more with glory. So we're coming into this new covenant. We have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It can't. Because the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the new covenant, as we're going to see in the text, it trumps the old covenant. It has more glory, greater glory. The glory of the, of the law was just to prepare hearts for grace. Galatians 3.24, it says the law was a schoolmaster, the King James Version says, that brings us to Christ, that prepares our hearts for grace. Verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation has glory. I had to read that like five times. For the ministry of condemnation has glory. What in the world is, he, is the Apostle Paul, what in the world is the Holy Spirit saying there? The law, the Ten Commandments, the moral law, remember that, Ten Commandments, the moral law, brings condemnation, but it has, but it's glory. It has glory. The law is glorious. One, because it points people to the holiness of God, and it points people to the Savior. It points people to the Savior. It points people to Jesus. That's why I believe the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of the law, has glory, because it points people to the sacrifice that Jesus made at Calvary for us. Continuing in verse 9, for the ministry of condemnation has glory. Much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. The ministry of righteousness fulfilled the ministry of condemnation. What the law couldn't do, the, the ministry of righteousness did, which was bring us righteousness through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, for indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory. Because of the glory that surpasses it. That's the glory of the new covenant that you stand in. See, we, we, we are all born here now in this time frame. But back in the old covenant, they couldn't say that. They had to look forward to the promises of the Old Testament of a new covenant and a new heart. But we're in it. And we should be so thankful for that. That we're living in that error of grace in that error of the new covenant. It's a high and holy calling. I'm going to say it again. It's a high and holy calling that we should not take for granted. Troy works at Spectrum. He needs to shine the light of Jesus to all those employees he works with, as well as me, as well as Robert, as well as Blake, all of us. That's our job. That's our job. Verse 11, For that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Now verses seven through ten, I had to verses seven through ten, he, he uses the word glory ten times. The Greek word is doxa. It means um, brightness. It means uh, radiant. It means magnificent. You ever heard that phrase that Jesus is magnificent? He is glorious. He is. He is so uh, he is so magnificent. But for many people, it doesn't seem that way. He's my religion. I check him out on Sundays. How do you, how do you get to that place? My friend, it's through the law. 
is through the law. It's looking at the Ten Commandments, understanding how much you've broken God's law. That breaks your heart. Oh, I've messed up. I've sinned against God. And then you look at the glory of the gospel. And you're like, wow! God is amazing. God is awesome. God is glorious. This is beautiful. Verse 7 through 10, the word glory is used 10 times. My friend, listen to me closely. The glory of God is in the gospel. It is the gospel of what Jesus did at Calvary and what Jesus did at the end of the tomb. It is the glory of God, uh, the weighted um, uh, heaviness of the Bible, the weighted heaviness of who God is, is found in the gospel. Steve Lawson says this, it involves God's greatness and grandeur being manifested to sinners, talking about the glory of God, especially in the salvation of man from sin. The more man beholds this is a powerful statement. The more man beholds God's intrinsic glory in salvation, the more man ascribes glory to God. The more, my friend, that you understand the gospel, the more that you dig deep in the gospel and you understand the sacrifice he made and you understand the implications of where you were before you came to Christ, that you were under condemnation, that you weren't heading to heaven, you were heading for a place called hell. And then you understand what he's done for you at the cross. Your jaw will drop. And you'll be like, this is so, so glorious. It's mind-blowing. It's magnificent. It's glorious. But my friend, as I said a while ago, you will not come to this place of this mind-blowing wow factor, it being magnificent, without first looking at the Ten Commandments. Not as a way of pleasing God, but as a way of understanding where you were apart from God and understanding where you were, how you were separated from Him by violating His commandments. You've got to understand sin, okay? This ain't about being under condemnation or eternal guilt, but it's just about understanding where you were. When I, when I thought about when I, 2004, 2005, some people would say, man, you got saved that year. No, I didn't. I, don't, I believe I was saved many, many years before that. But it became real. It became alive. I was just like, wow. As I, as I sat on that red couch at 500A, Rainbow Circle, and I looked at God's moral law, and I thought about all the times I'd broken it, all the times that I violated his commandments. I've, I've violated all ten, guilty of all ten of them. Um, and I thought about that, and then I was like, you know, guilty, guilty, guilty. Then I look over here at Romans 8.1, and it says, Therefore there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I was blown away. You're, you're forgiven. And, and, and there's no guilt. 
There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But it's good to understand where you came from. You'll appreciate the gospel more. The third reason why the new covenant is magnificent and is glorious is this. It contains the glory of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection and his work of salvation in your heart. It's amazing. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. I used to be terrified to share the gospel. Yes, as a Christian, I was terrified to share the gospel. But after I experienced the glory of the law of condemnation, and after I saw the beautiful, glorious gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, when it came to evangelism, I said, I'll put myself out there. I'll put myself out there. I don't care what people think. I'll share the gospel with people. I, I, I will go out and hand out gospel tracts with my knees knocking and sweaty palms and nervousness. I will go out and do it. I, I, I will go out and do it. I'm not, I'm not worried about their response. I, I don't care what people think. I don't care what anybody thinks. But I will do it. I will go out there and I will share the gospel with a complete stranger. You know, it's a, it, it, it was a, within me, it was a pride thing. I didn't want to do it. I was scared. I didn't, didn't feel adequate. didn't feel like I was able to. But I came to this conclusion. Worst case scenario, I'll get rejected. I'll get rejected. I'll get rejected and my pride will be hurt. But you know what, though? I'll wake up the next morning and I'll eat my bowl of cereal and drink my cup of coffee and I'll be okay. And I'll let it go. Their worst case scenario, the lake of fire. Spending eternity separated from God in a place called hell. I, my pride, my, I'm going to be okay if I get rejected. But I have a responsibility because of the glory I've experienced. I was terrified. And it, it's not always easy to share the gospel with people. It's not always, it's, it's, it can be a very difficult thing. But we just have to get our mind focused and think about what he's done in our life. And think about our worst case scenario versus their worst case scenario. Amen? Amen. It's magnificent. It's glorious. This, um, this book, the truth of this book is mind-blowing. Eternal life, forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God, a new life in Christ for here and now and this day and this life as well as in the one to come. It's, it's like a fire hydrant. It'll just blow you away. Verse 13, let's wrap this up. Verse 13 is connected to verse 12. Let's go back to verse 12. Therefore, having such a hope, we use a great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. We remember from Exodus, Moses came down from the mountain. He had a veil because of the glory. The glory shone on his face. The brightness, the radiance 
because he had the glory of God at that point, the law that was going to point people to their need for a Savior. But unfortunately, verse 14, but their minds were hardened for until this very day, the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it, it is removed. The veil is removed in Jesus, in Christ, it says. Verse 15, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. They read the law. They study the law. They memorize the law. But what they fail to realize is they haven't kept the law. They haven't kept the law. Neither have you. Neither have, neither have I. Verse 16. I love this. The glory of God was in the law because the law pointed, the moral law pointed people to Christ. The new covenant is what it pointed to. Jesus. Now look at verse 16. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, talking about Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What does the gospel bring to the table? What, that's what people want to know, you know, whenever, whenever they hear about new information. Um, they hear about, they go to church and, okay, what's, all, what's, what's this Christianity all about? What, 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 what does Christianity bring to the table? What does the, the Bible bring to the table? Well, according to verse 16, it brings sight. It brings sight. When a person gets saved, their eyes are open to spiritual things. They see life, they see the world in a whole new light. What does he say in the gospel? I once, uh, I once was blind, but now I can see. Through the gospel, through this new covenant, we can see spiritually. Verse 17 brings liberty. You don't have to live in a constant state of bondage. You don't have to live in a constant state of bondage. You receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You commit to being a Christian. You commit to going to a Bible study. You, you commit to growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you commit to fellowship, he will break the chains. He can break the chains. He will bring liberty. No matter what you're facing, no matter what has damaged your past, he will bring liberty. That's the glory of the gospel. Him working in us and through us. And then finally, verse 18, he brings a new life. He brings a new life, a new life for the here and now and for today. This is what 
We, this, this is what the gospel brings to the table. It's more than a mental assent. It's more than just believing with your mind. It's believing with all your heart and trusting in him and going through discipleship and, and taking Christianity, I like to say it as a person jumping on a bull, taking it by the horns and going forward and doing this thing. I'm, we're going to do this, Lord. We're going to do this thing. So that's what the gospel brings to the table. My question to you this morning is, what are you going to bring to the table in 2018? What are you going to bring to the table in 2018? Or better yet, as the text was talking about, what is your letter going to say? What is your letter going to say? Let's let God, by his Holy Spirit, write his letter in our heart and make that deep commitment for 2018 that we're going to grow in grace we're going to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to grow. You're going to grow in, in, in um, being a godly husband, being a godly wife, being a servant. Commit to growing in the Word of God, in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your Word. Thank you, Father, that... Um, we're called to grace. We're saved by grace through faith, by your grace, Father, and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That alone is our salvation. And we thank you for your law that points us to you. Help us not to be, um, help us to never trust in the law for salvation, but to trust in you in you alone, Lord Jesus. We love your word. We love your law. We love everything that's written in your word. Help us to be conformed and transformed as we move into 2018. Um, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.